It is your Classic Metal Show right here on the ClassicMetalShow.com. That is legendary. I believe I said that right. And uh, that comes from their latest release called The Wizard and the Tower Keeper. And that's called The Lost Road. And a guy who uh, seems to know where he's going with this band is the uh, lead vocalist and founder of the band, Vidar. What's going on there, Vidar? Oh, you know, not too much. <laughs> not too much. I would think you yeah, were out there it. slaying dragons and, and uh, conjuring up uh, spells and taking on the wizards, and I would think that'd be a full-time job. Yeah, well, well that's a given. Of, of course, you know, I've been doing that. But <laughs> Well, I got to tell you, I, I'm a Pittsburgh guy myself, and you guys hail out of Pittsburgh. And uh, where where about in the Pittsburgh area are you guys from? Well, the 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 tag of, of being from Pittsburgh. I mean, uh, I'm from Pittsburgh myself. I'm I'm living in uh, actually just west of Pittsburgh in Weirton, West Virginia. All right. And the rest of the band lives in uh, Newcastle, Pennsylvania. Okay, so I'm very familiar with Pittsburgh both Central. of those places. Yeah. So you guys, uh, you you guys are uh, you know from a from a very blue collar area that uh, loves their metal. They love their heavy rock, and uh, you guys are uh, bringing the music to the masses. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I got to ask you, Vidar. Uh, you know, I, I've uh, checked out your release, uh, "The Wizard and the Tower Keeper," and you know, I've I've kind of explored you a little bit, and and I'm always interested in people uh, from the Pittsburgh area, as I lived in Irwin myself, and uh, you know, I, I like to know what's going on out there, and I see you guys are, you know, very heavily influenced with the uh, whole demons and wizards and dragons and you know all that kind of stuff so uh what what is your main interest how did how did you come to a conclusion that hey you know i need to form a band that uh celebrates that kind of uh uh mythology well i mean i've been interested in the swords and sorcery fantasy sort of stuff since i was a young kid and uh always been into like you know rock and roll and heavy metal music and like actually you know when i was a little kid i was really into deep purple and uh you know of course you know the early metallica albums and things like that and then then i discovered that the power metal existed and uh i I think i was maybe like 11 or 12 when i picked up my first hammerfall album and then got into like blind guardian and man of war and and that kind of music which then gradually led way into black metal you know, also the the type of black metal that focuses more on the medieval aspects of metal, but uh, with Legendary, the the whole genesis of it really comes about from you know getting heavily into the band Manila Road. I'm not sure if you're familiar with those guys, but um, they kind of they encapsulated this different aspect of swords and sorcery, not just the kind of you know, double bass drum gallop sort of Euro power metal style, but it was a more like, you know, down to earth sort of style. I mean, like if you were to compare like the high fantasy of Lord of the Rings to the barbaric fantasy of Conan. And so with Manila Road, you know, getting into the um, short stories and, you know, novellas of Robert E. Howard was actually a big inspiration as well for the lyrics, you know, starting out. So, 
So yeah, essentially, like I, I based a lot of the early lyrics off of you know short stories by Robert E. Howard and in, in that sort of Manila Road esque style of uh, epic metal, as they called it, and as we you know we like to call the band, you know, and um, so from that point, though, basing it off of his stories, I then kind of took it a step further with the Wizard and Tower and the Tower Keep, and you know wrote my own short story to base everything off of. So, so that's where we kind of end up with it. Right. Well, let me ask you something, and I'm not saying this in a critical form. I'm asking this just out of genuine curiosity. When you when you have a band that focuses so much on a very niche subject material, do you believe you're pigeonholing yourself to a very, uh, you know, a limited audience? Because, you know, obviously not everyone is into the whole dragons and wizards and stuff. I, I like... Right. I, I personally am a big Hammerfall fan. I, I love Hammerfall. Mm-hmm. I, I've been a fan for many, many years. But when you focus specifically on one thing like that, it kind of limits you. Do you, you know? Do you, do you see a way of you know uh, expanding your horizons because of you know you're kind of you're what you're into your second or third uh, release now, but you're kind mm-hmm. of like really. Uh, putting a stamp on who you guys are. So, you know, people who may not have an interest in that subject material may not discover the band because it's like, yeah, I, I'm really not into that whole medieval thing. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, it's definitely a niche sort of uh, genre, niche sort of audience would, would, would appreciate it. But it's, um, you know, it, it's not something that really, you know, bothers me or, or us in a way. I mean, uh, it, it's... Um, you know, it's. I mean, I like niche sort of styles of music. I mean, I, I definitely get into a lot of obscure bands and kind of forgotten, you know, styles and things like that. And so, you know, is it pigeonholing? Yes, maybe. But you know, all the same, though, I feel like there's a lot more for me to explore in this story. I actually just published, uh, or I had published the second story in this whole cycle with the Earth Warrior character, and uh, th- that was actually published by DMR Books in their Swords of Steel omnibus. Uh, it's like an anthology of um, basically sword and sorcery uh, stories told by heavy metal musicians. Speaking of niche things, uh, you know, there's a whole book of it. <laughs> sure, absolutely. Well, I, I know there's an audience out there for that, but what I'm saying is in a widespread, you know, the general audience, the general population out there, you know, uh, it's it's maybe one out of 20 people who might dig that. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, reg- right, yeah. regard, regardless of that, uh, when when you put this band together, what was your vision, you know, as far as, you know, maybe longevity, or maybe you weren't even think that far. Maybe you were just thinking, hey, you know, I, I, I could jam with some guys that have the same kind of thought process or vision that I have, and we'll just see where it goes. Yeah, I, I mean, putting the whole thing together, really, I mean, I uh, honestly, with the Mr. Time album, I, I never really expected for anyone to listen to it at all. I just wanted to make a, a record that I liked, and we were working at the time with Non Nobis Productions from Portugal on the release of that, and um, when it started gaining traction, it, it, you know, it was kind of surprising to me. And then, then we uh, played the Legions of Metal Festival in Chicago shortly thereafter, and um, 
Yeah, but I mean, the, the original plan, I mean, like, like if, if I were to have um, set my goals at the, that very moment of starting it, it would have been just to be, you know, big enough to justify producing our own T-shirt. I mean, I really didn't have uh, any lofty expectations for it, so uh, the fact that it's gotten this much further is, is kind of uh, interesting and surprising in a lot of ways. Right. Well, you're obviously a very talented musician in your own right. Uh, you know, obviously you play guitar and you play mandolin and, and, you know, you, you do the vocals and you, you know, you're a multi, uh, you know, you're a multi-talented, uh, uh, musician. Where, where does your musical background come from? Uh, well, I, I, uh, had learned piano originally when I was, I think probably in like second or third grade, uh, and that was all well and good. I really wanted to, you know, I, I had a, a, like, I guess an, a bit of an aptitude for playing music and learning songs by ear. I still don't actually read music. I just memorize everything. And, um, so from that point though, I, at, at that time as a, as a kid, I was into the rock and roll tapes and records that my parents had. And so, you know, I saw these cool pictures of these, these guys playing, uh, Fender Stratocaster guitars. And I thought that was the coolest thing in the world you know, being a kid. And so I wanted to learn to play guitar and, uh, I took lessons all through like elementary school from that point and, um, basically kind of grew from there, just, you know, progressively more and more extreme styles of music. And then whenever things kind of topped out in the, at the end of black metals spectrum of extreme, then I kind of went back to more of the seventies prog that I had kind of skipped over, you know, that, that I was, you know, didn't think was all that cool when I was in high school. And, uh, you know, now, so, I mean, really on a day-to-day basis, my, my influences come mostly from 70s progressive rock. I mean, I, I don't really listen to a whole lot of metal. I mean, you know, just at the moment, at least. Sure. Absolutely. Well, uh, let, let's talk about your, your latest release here. Um, you guys, obviously, you, you guys are self-financed, I'm going to assume, yeah? Uh, to some degree. The uh, High Roller Records is, is a helped us in our kind of uh, you know recording and our actual music video endeavors and things like that uh, but we do a lot of things in-house I mean uh, I mean re- really like it saves a lot of costs just for the fact that I'm also doing all the artworks and and all the all the layouts and designs for the physical releases a lot of the merchandising and stuff like that so we save costs in some places you know but where it becomes a bit more expensive than you know we, we do uh, have some support from the label right absolutely so so you're kind of a you know you're kind of a one-man entity almost well i mean the 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 other guys in the band they they definitely contribute their parts and uh you know being able to write with other musicians and kind of bounce ideas back and forth is really an invaluable kind of uh, tool and you know asset that uh, the band has right well, well, we'll talk about the other guys in the band. Who, who's uh, joining you in this band, and where do you know them from, and uh, how did how did you guys uh, come together? Well, uh, Kicker, uh, I, I met him first working with our original bass player, Chu. None of us have grown-up names, by the way. <laughs> um, and so essentially I was working with Chu on, uh, on uh, kind of, a, we were actually working in the direction of a first wave uh, black metal style band, kind of like Celtic Frost. And uh, Chu introduced me to Kicker as a drummer and he just kind of stuck around and, you know, his playing is kind of unique because it's uh, punk influence, 
jazz influence sort of stuff, you know, with, with the, of course, the metal thrown in, but the punk meets jazz sort of thing, especially that you find on, on like a track like The Lost Road is something that's, you know, pretty unique to have him in the band. And um, so eventually, though, Chu had, uh, left the group and um, Kicker introduced me to uh, Evil St. Clair, who picked up the bass. Uh, he's actually uh, really a, more of a guitar player than anything, and he picked up the bass kind of to fill in, actually, when we were booked for the Legions of Metal Festival. And uh, he's stuck around since then, and, you know, that's kind of where we're at. Right. Well, who who is, are, are you the chief songwriter, lyricist in this band, or is this a collective effort? Uh, the music we write as a group, and then, then I'll take that idea home and now that I've, I'm, I'm writing the, the prose stories to go with the songs, then I'll, I'll go and take those riffs that we come up with and place the, um, the, the appropriate lyrics, you know, based on the, the appropriate area of the story to kind of, you know, propel the story along. So I'm, I'm doing basically the, you know, the lyricism and, you know, I, I'm definitely writing the riffs and things too. But uh, Ethan has, uh, I mean, excuse me, Evil St. Clair has <laughs> provided some of the riffing as well, and, and Kicker will definitely come up with his own drum patterns, and you know, we idea, uh, bounce ideas off of each other to get the actual you know, completed song structures. Right, absolutely. So when it, when it comes to, and, and again, this is not a criticism, this is just a question, when it comes to being somewhat of a gimmicky band, uh, you know, and, and you obviously have your stage names and uh, your images and all the things that go along with that. Um, you know, I, I'm good friends with uh, Ralph Sains, who's uh, who's the lead vocalist of, of Steel Panther, you know, mm-hmm. and, and he's Michael Starr, you know. And <laughs> uh, is that is that difficult to keep up that imagery, you know, especially when you're out there at the live shows, you know, I'm, I'm Vidar, you know, and it's it, rather than, uh, well, you, you know, going by your your given name. Well, with, with uh, I mean, with, with my given or with, with my uh, stage name, it's, it's something that I've uh, used for many years. And honestly, more people know me as that than my actual given birth name. And with uh, Kicker, for example, I didn't know his actual name until a few months after he joined the group. I just never <laughs> asked him, and I just he was, he's, he's always been Kicker, right? So, sure. Now, now, how did you come up with the with the name Vidar? What, what is that a reference to, or how did how did you uh, land on that? Uh, it goes. It's actually a name from uh, Norse mythology. Uh, Vidar's. Uh, it was. It, it would be a, a Vidar. Or Vidar in in pr- pr- uh, correct pronunciation, but since we're just from Pittsburgh and all, it's just Vidar. But um, so this uh, you know it's the name of the one of the deities who actually survives Ragnarok, the the kind of Norse Armageddon uh, battle at the end of the world. So he, he's he's one of the surviving gods, but he's the the silent god, which is uh, he like observed the r- ritual silence and uh, basically. Um, you know, kind of plotting revenge against the uh, Fenris wolf who swallows Odin at the end of the world. So the when the, the Fenris wolf swallows Odin, who represents the sun in this mythology, um, Vidar rips the jaws of the this giant wolf apart and, uh, you know, and ends the 
you know, kind of the scourge of this beast on the world and uh, survives Ragnarok. <laughs> and it's ironic that I'm a musician and the singer, and, you know, being, you know, named after the, the silent deity, it's kind of a bit of irony, but... Well, you, well, yeah. you, de- you definitely got to be somewhat of a, you know, uh, a scholar to really get all that whole, you know, put that whole thing together, right? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the the information now is, is much easier to come by. Uh, when I start, first started becoming interested in, you know, mythology and, and studying kind of ancient histories and stuff like that, it was harder to find. You'd, you'd have to, like, walk around a library for hours and find these old books. You know, just kind of the same way you would go to a record store and, and find a, something with the coolest looking band logo or the coolest album cover and, you know, just take a guess that, yeah, this might be okay. And, uh, but, you know, nowadays there's, you know, with the, the internet being so, you know, comprehensive when it comes to information, you can find a lot of this stuff pretty, you know, readily available. So, yeah, I mean, whenever I, I, I found the name, it was, it was, you know, fairly obscure. I guess it's still pretty obscure. It's not, it's not like Thor or Odin or one of the, the major deities that they have. A, uh, one of the, I don't know if it's Marvel or De- one of those comic book movies. Right. Well, I don't really follow those. <laughs> well, let me, let me try to make you feel at home here. Yin's going downtown to the Smiling Moose to go see that, uh, that legendary band down there with that Vidar. Yeah. We, we have played the Smiling Moose quite a few times. <laughs> <laughs> we, we did actually play there with Manila Road a few years ago, which w- which was fantastic for for me to you know jam with those guys. Sure, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm I'm gonna go check out the Stillers, and then I'm gonna go down to the Smiling Moose and go see that uh, legendary. Yeah, well, you want to come? You know, I, and I, I never realized how much of a Pittsburgh accent I had until I moved a little bit further away from it. Wait a second, I do sound like that. Oh, no. <laughs> well, that's one of my favorite things about uh, Pittsburgh is just that, that funny accent. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely its own little place in the world. It definitely that, is. That still reminds me of, like, a Tom Waits album cover. Right. Well, uh, you know, why don't you tell the fans a little more about uh, about your band? How did you come up with the name uh, Legendary? I mean, that's that's you know, people would want to say legendary, but I see it's legendary. So, uh, where where did yes. that come from? That, that comes directly from Robert E. Howard's essay on the Hyborian Age, uh, where he basically lays out the different peoples and cultures of the world that he created. Um, and I think it, it was in the phrase myths of legendary. So legendary referring to basically like a body of works, like a, like a group of legends. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not like, you know, a shortened, uh, contraction of legendary. It's, it's a totally different word. Even though Google doesn't think it's a correct spelling, it, it is. And, um, you know, so, so I've run into that a few times where people have thought that we've like, you know, changed the, you know, the spelling of legendary and, you know, it's, it doesn't mean the same thing. Sure. Absolutely. Um, now, have you gotten uh, interest now, this type of, you know, music and this, this, you know, this format more or less seems to resonate more with the European market. So have you gotten uh, any interest from say like European promoters or, or, or whatnot to uh, be added to any of these, uh, you know, festival bills or, 
you know, anything like that. I mean, you know, because, yeah, here in the States, people are a little more fickle. They're they're more mainstream. They they don't really get into the, you know, the the niche uh, genres, as it were. And, you know, the, the European market seems to eat that thing kind of stuff up. So uh, yeah. what, what's your response in the, you know, over in uh, Europe? Uh, definitely fairly strong. Uh, I, I think that a lot, a lot of uh, the people that get into this this type of music are, are based in Germany. The, the record label we're working with is in Germany as well. Um, as far as the festivals, of course, we want to go over there and, and play some of those. It's it's a matter of finding the right one and the and the right opportunity. It's definitely not cheap to go over there and due to kind of personal lives and professional lives, it, it's tricky to go over there and book a tour. Uh, because that's the only way to make it financially feasible. I mean, you need to go over there and play one festival show and then come back. You have to be, you know, uh, maybe a, a bit on a different sort of a plateau of uh, statuses. You know, it's it's not a really a matter of, you know, being able to, you know, make it work. Yeah, be, you don't want to have to mortgage the house or sell your car to just make that one show. Right, it's it's not cheap to get over there, and that's why you see a lot of bands they'll they'll they'll, they'll play a festival there, and then they'll play you know four or five other gigs you know in in the other you know European countries or, or in the same country they played the festival in, and, and that's the way they make it work you know and, and, and kind of like worth the travel and the and the expenditure to get over there, but definitely in the future though. All right. Well, in the overall scheme of things, where do you see the band legendary uh, going with your career? Are are you happy with the level of success that you've had so far, or what what do you envision for yourself uh, down the road? Um, really, it's it's something that's uh, you know it is a labor of love. It's not a matter of you know being you know overly accepted or not uh, i mean uh, like uh, as, as we were discussing it is a very niche sort of a genre so it's not something that a lot of people are going to be into it, it might be that they, they might grasp onto different things like i was going to say earlier about the the 70s prog angle that that we kind of play that that might grab maybe more people you know than say the the, the fantasy lyrics but in the future though i i, I do want to push things further into the progressive route I've uh, actually already begun writing the next album, and like as I said, I, I do have the the next uh, story arc already in place for the lyrics and the kind of the, the music to follow. So uh, I I think that the longer songs and the more musically explorative sort of things are where the the band is the most successful. So I, I intend on kind of playing more to that direction. Uh, I'd really love to do something like uh, Yes with uh, Close to the Edge and have like a 20-minute song on one side of the LP and then, you know, a couple of like 10-minute songs on the other side. Right. Something like that. Well, in this day and age where, you know, album sales are basically nothing and, and, you know, the music business in general, there really is not a music business out there. What's your viewpoint on, on recording new music for release. I mean, I see you guys have gone as far as to release vinyl and in, you know, obviously CD and uh, MP3 and, and cassettes all, you, too. Yeah. And cassettes too. So, you know, when it comes, when it comes to the whole physical product, 
of of releasing you know your music what's your viewpoint on that uh in seri- in all seriousness um well the uh, you know the, the physical aspect of the release is always an important thing i mean uh as i was saying i do i, I do all the the cover paintings as well and i paint them in a gatefold format so i mean if you're just looking at the little spotify icon you're seeing only really half of the album covers uh, the the other half is on the the back side of the booklet or the back of the gatefold sleeve, and we did uh, gatefold sleeves for both Dungeon Crawler and Mists of Time, which are a bit more expensive in the beginning, but it's something that it, it's a kind of a callback to when I was a little kid sitting on the you know my parents' living room floor looking at the LPs and just kind of reading every word and you know kind of looking at the whole thing. So it's the ritualistic aspect of physical media is something that's always you know kind of a fascinating thing. I mean, Lena just like kind of mildewy smell of old records is something that I think that a lot of people find comforting in a way. Right. Maybe, maybe not so healthy to uh, inhale, but, you know. <laughs> um, you know, and even cassettes have become really kind of a popular thing lately. Uh, we, we did a Dungeon Crawler cassette with uh, Metal Strom uh, recordings. They're kind of a smaller cassette in, like, patch label. They, they do some cool stuff, though. And uh, the sound of the cassette, I mean, like, is is actually fairly great. I mean, the um, the problem is that most people's memories of cassettes are lousy cassette desk, uh, decks in their like car on a cassette that had been in the sun in the passenger seat for six months. You know, it's like that's why it sounded bad. I mean, you were you know they were listening to them on really bad you know, players or like little boom boxes and stuff. So I mean, it's still. You know, an analog medium. You know, where, where where vinyl is kind of prohibitively expensive to a lot of bands, the uh, you know the cassette is is kind of interesting, especially if you get like an older cassette. You know that that didn't get deteriorated and destroyed, like you know, like a, like Yes or Black Sabbath or Led Zeppelin cassettes are going to sound pretty good because there's still analog music on analog media. There's no digital in the middle, depending on when they made the cassette, of course. But. Right. Of course, I've had plenty of them in my lifetime, so I, I'm well aware. Yeah, I mean, some of them sound good, some sound terrible. I mean, it, it, there's also the ferric oxide, chromium oxide, and the metal tapes. There's, there's different, you know, grades of them. You know, if you get like the, the metal tapes are the ones with, the, or, the, or the, uh, no, the chromium are the one with the black tape. The the ferric are the red. Right. Absolutely. So, but all uh, right. Yeah, I'm definitely a total nerd about collecting those things. So. And and you hope that the fans that uh, you gain have the same passion for the physical media that you do. Yeah, you, you know the the and and one thing about like like this genre of epic metal or you know some people are you know call it like the the new wave of traditional heavy metal and there it's a small audience but it's a really hardcore audience. They 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 buy everything. They support all the releases. It's definitely like it's a small underground but it's it's definitely like you know it's 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 doing some interesting things there, there's a lot of bands that are you know you go to buy their album on the day of release and it's it's sold out within a few minutes it's it's that sort of situation for you know a lot of these groups and we actually sold out of our lps you know, the, the copies we had in, the, in around a week actually so oh, very cool uh, it's definitely the, the, the there's like you know there's a hardcore audience it's small but you know they're 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 very supportive Sure, absolutely. Well, that's that's always good to have your uh, hardcore fans. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yep. 
it, it amazes me, like, you know, the, the stuff that they, they do. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. Did Yins go down there to High Roller Records and pick up that new LP? <laughs> yeah, or uh, Dave's Music Mind. I don't know. I guess <laughs> if they have it. <laughs> All right, Vidar. So, what's in the what's in the uh, works for twenty twenty? We're coming down to the end of the year, so uh, you got anything lined up for the new year? Uh, at this time, it's really just down to writing the new record and uh, getting things uh, set up for doing that. You know, I'm, I'm kind of like shooting to record it maybe over the summer. Um, you know, maybe as far as a year from now, it might take a while to write. But um, yeah, we're, I'm, I'm focusing more on on writing at this time and. Uh, you know, hopefully some interesting live opportunities will show up, but, uh, you know, this kind of remains to be seen at this point. Sure. You know, nothing I can really, you know, uh, divulge at this time. So Absolutely. All right. Well, where can people find out uh, about Legendary? Uh, well, we have, uh, of course, the, the Facebook, Instagram things, and uh, you can find us on there pretty easily. The Bandcamp is the, our, our main sort of... Uh, you know, website at this time it's just legendary.bandcamp.com and uh the uh instagram is legendary.epic.metal and then uh, legendary band at facebook perfect all right well go check out legendary and uh, their latest release called the wizard and the tower keep and uh, as a uh, tradition here there vidar we always let the uh, artists pick a song from their latest release and maybe tell us a story about it to take us out of the interview. What should we play? Well, is there any time restraints on that one? <laughs> no, not at all. Okay, well, uh, you know, my favorite track on the album is definitely Earth Warrior. I think it kind of pulls all the different sounds and styles that we perform together into one piece. It's 11 minutes, uh, four four movements, and it's kind of the epic finale where the, the un unnamed warrior faces off finally with the evil wizard. Perfect. All right. Well, the name of the band, again, is called Legendary, and the latest release is called The Wizard and the Tower Keep. So here it is. This is Earth Warrior exclusively here on your Classic Metal Show. 